for Plus 61J Media and the Jewish Museum of Australia. This is Yiddish in Sydney, a podcast about losing and rediscovering a language. I'm Dash Lawrence, and like the rest of you, I've spent much of 2020 living in lockdown, watching too much Netflix. A couple of months ago, I happened to come across the incredibly popular Yiddish language series, Unorthodox. The events of 2020 were doing funny things. Yiddish speakers all over the world were connected for the very first time via Zoom, and a Yiddish language translation of Harry Potter sold out in just a few days. There was even a Hollywood film featuring Yiddish due to be released later in the year. It got me thinking, was this old 9th century language that many considered to be doomed actually having a moment of revival? And my mind also turned to a group of Yiddish speakers I met last year, a group of speakers in the city of Sydney, who remember a time when the language was spoken and performed regularly. These speakers, well, they were small in number and ever decreasing, and they were all concerned about what might happen to the language when they were gone. This is part two of a two-part podcast feature. If you missed part one, try and find it online and catch up. And for the rest of you, stay and listen as we meet one of Sydney's last remaining Yiddish conversation groups. If you live in Sydney, or if one day you find yourself visiting, catch a train to Bondi Junction Station in the eastern suburbs. Get out of the station and walk north up Grosvenor Street, past the shops, go under the underpass, and keep walking until you reach Davis Lane on your left-hand side. Walk down the lane, past the beautiful old Victorian terrace houses, until you reach Rose Street. Turn left up Rose Street, you'll be walking uphill. It's a cul-de-sac, and depending on the time of year, you'll see a striking bright pink bougainvillea. Next to the Bougainvillea, wedged just underneath a six-lane highway, is a modest white building. It's called the Jewish Folk Centre. It's the former hub of Yiddish in Sydney. These days, it's managed by the city's Israeli community as a centre of Hebrew culture, language and dance. But once a month, a group of around 30 people come together from across the city to speak Yiddish. And on a typically bright Sydney day, I went along to meet them. Unlike many Jewish community spaces in Australia, the Fox Centre doesn't have any security. There's no security guards or security cameras. It's small and welcoming, and when I step inside, I'm greeted by a group of women, mostly aged over 50. They're standing around eating bagels with cream cheese and salmon. They're drinking instant coffee from an urn. They're having small, intimate conversations. So, 
together. And funnily enough, my By the time the meeting begins and the formalities start, the room, it's nearly packed. There's a bumper crowd of more than 50 people. This month, there are two special guests, me and Uncle Velvel, a well-known and much-loved children's entertainer and Jewish educator who speaks an impeccable Yiddish. My name is Cynthia. This is Helen. Um, and we have a special um, guest today. We have Uncle Velvel and Dashiell from Melbourne. So we'll come and I'll let Helen take over. I'm going to get a couple of ships. I'm going to get a once Uncle Velva has spoken, it's my turn to talk, and I can't speak Yiddish, so I take the stand and start talking in English, and I tell the group about why I'm here today, to understand what Yiddish means to them, and without much pushing, one by one, they're all ready to share their stories. My grandmother spoke Yiddish and she taught us to speak Yiddish. We became fluent in, in Yiddish and we still today speak Yiddish. Our children understand. One of them tries to speak, but the others it's lost. So it stops there. So for me, coming to Australia, I didn't speak Yiddish since I came in 1977 until 2000 when my parents died when I had to go back to Israel and to communicate with my mother and I had to resurrect my Yiddish. And coming back to Australia now, of course I don't speak Yiddish with my husband. <laughs> I mean, I tried to speak Hebrew with him, but he was born in Australia, so I speak English. So the only opportunity actually I have to speak Yiddish is over here. Now, yes. Why do you do this? I do this in memory of my father and my parents. I came from Belgium. I don't think many people here are from Belgium. We were in Belgium was a very uh, vibrant Polish community, and uh, we were brought up speaking Yiddish. Everybody, all my friends spoke Yiddish. We we used to we had like a secret language. We could speak to each other. And my parents spoke Yiddish. My mother not so, not as good because she came from England. But my father only spoke Yiddish. It was his pride and joy. He could go in a fruit shop here and tell the, the guys, I don't care if you speak English, I'll tell you in Yiddish. <laughs> and, and I can choose myself what I want. And he would say in Yiddish, he would pay them. And he, he was only speaking in Yiddish. And he loved Yiddish. And I, uh, I I never had any formal education in Yiddish, but I heard him speak Yiddish all the time, and I love speaking Yiddish. And when we come here on a Sunday, uh, every month, we uh, it, 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 it makes me happy. It makes me happy to speak Yiddish and to hear Yiddish. It didn't matter who I spoke to that morning, everyone's story was unique. They came from around the world. Some had married Jews, others non-Jews. Some attended synagogue and others hadn't been for many years. Some were close to Sydney's Jewish community and others were not. But their differences, they didn't matter because what bound them together was a love for this 9th century old language and an appreciation for what it had come to represent. 
On two occasions when I've been to Germany, I've actually spoken Yiddish to Germans. They've understood me. Um, and for me, that was really important. I felt that I had to have the last say. And um, when I've been anywhere in the world and I couldn't speak the language and I've found people I thought maybe and I've asked them um, if they speak Yiddish and nine times out of ten I've found someone to speak to. Yeah. So Yiddish for me is so important because all of us had very little family and that's my tie to the lost generations. And um, it's just something I speak to my children in Yiddish, they answer me in English. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I couldn't live without this monthly refuelling. Um, well, my parents came after the war. They were Holocaust survivors. And um, they only, well, they had a bit of Polish behind them, but they basically spoke Yiddish. So when they came to Australia, that was their common common language. And... Basically, that's all they spoke, and I actually didn't know any English when I started school, so that's all I had. And now Yiddish to me is a memory of my childhood, listening to them talk Yiddish, and, you know, Yiddish has always been part of part of everything we always did, you know, so... I think Rosita said to me yesterday that... speaking it is an act of honouring your parents. Right. Absolutely, that's absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and now there are so few people to actually speak Yiddish with to hear it. It's it's nice. And slowly, I began to appreciate just how much this group meant to those participants. It was a link back in time to their parents, to their family, and to their past. Ich heiße Rivke Margolis und ich bin die Direktorsche von der Australische Center von Jüdischer Zivilisation in Monash Universität. Professor Rebecca Margolis is the director of the Australian Center for Jewish Civilization at Monash University. Rebecca is a Yiddishist, a Yiddish teacher and a researcher of contemporary Yiddish cultures and Yiddish-speaking communities. I asked Rebecca about the Sydney Yiddish Conversation Group and whether they reflected a global trend among Yiddish speakers today. People become attached to revisiting their heritage once they retire. Suddenly you have all this time, right? And your parents are aging or maybe have passed away recently and you want to connect in a sense with where you come from. So I've seen this actually in a survey that I did in Canada um, for my own research where I looked at who's engaging with Yiddish today and how in the secular world. Then I found that the largest group of people who answered my survey were actually baby boomers. So people who were in their 60s, early 70s, who had had Yiddish at home from parents who were largely Holocaust survivors or immigrants, and they were reconnecting with Yiddish. And part of it was that they had just retired and it was a hobby for them. Or they felt suddenly that they didn't have anyone to speak Yiddish to anymore. Their parents had passed away recently. And that generation was gone. And that's a big piece of the puzzle is that the, the pre-Holocaust generation of Yiddish speakers is hardly with us anymore. So I think there's a real interest suddenly in the generation of their children to find places to speak Yiddish um, and to reconnect with the language. Because if your habit was to speak Yiddish with your parents, suddenly there's no more 
the parents are no longer there, that that's an empty, that's a piece, uh, sort of an empty piece that can be filled with groups or engaging with Yiddish in other ways. So I've observed a lot of interest among that particular age cohort in reconnecting with Yiddish. Rebecca's originally from Canada, and she's connected with Yiddish speakers all over the world. With that global perspective, I wanted to know, was she optimistic about the capacity of the language to be picked up by a new generation? I have seen an increase in Yiddish among young people, which is contrary to what I expected. And there, you know, there are moments where there's a particular group that is really attracted to Yiddish. So in the 1990s, I had a lot of students from the queer community who were interested in exploring queer Yiddishkeit, and that has maintained itself. So that is one one avenue where people engage with Yiddish. And there is there's always a group of people who are interested in Yiddish for aesthetic reasons. They're interested in the music or performance of some sort. So Yiddish becomes that piece for them. And there are people who just love the way Yiddish sounds. They just love speaking Yiddish. So there, there are those people and Yiddishists. So people who relate to Yiddish as, you know, as an ideology or part of their identity, they find each other, they gravitate towards each other, which is why the, the technology piece is important because they're gravitating right now towards each other from literally the entire planet. And this is where the story takes an interesting turn. With people all over the world locked down during 2020 because of the global pandemic, Yiddish speakers, young and old, native and beginner, took to Zoom to connect for the first time. Rebecca says it's created unprecedented opportunities for people to deepen their Yiddish experience. I think this is a tremendous moment in the history of Yiddish um, because Yiddish has always been a fairly global phenomenon, secular Yiddish, where people connected through initially through the postal system and now technology has facilitated instantaneous connection where people are sitting in Zoom conversation classes at you know three in the morning with people from all over the world talking about nothing significant. They're not discussing anything. They're just speaking Yiddish. And often they're very they're young people who came to Yiddish via various avenues. They're not former Hasidim and they're not people who grew up with Yiddish at, as a spoken language at home, but they have somehow gravitated towards the language. And I think that this particular moment, the technology has really facilitated that. Um, so I think this has been a tremendous moment for Yiddish um, in terms of just showing people what the technology can do. And also taking a generation of people who might not have ever been become technologically literate and forcing them to be. So now we, we have access to Yiddish speakers who previously would never have, who would have imagined talking to a computer, right? Why would you do that? And now suddenly I can speak to native Yiddish speakers from all over the world and it's tremendous. I think the, the opportunity is, is amazing. And also to for collaboration, people are arranging Yiddish concerts and Yiddish conferences with members from all over the world um, and basically putting them in a room in ways that would never have been possible without the current technology. The picture that Rebecca was painting of Yiddish around the world, it was an optimistic one, and it contrasted greatly with what I'd heard about Yiddish in Sydney, a situation many believed was either dead or on life support. I put this to Rebecca, and her answer not only surprised me, but it gave me a new way of looking at the language and thinking about its future. So I reject the idea that Yiddish needs to be kept alive, because Yiddish, I don't think Yiddish lives or dies. So Yiddish is, is spoken and loved and engaged with and fills all kinds of 
um, roles for different people. Um, but the question of keeping Yiddish alive, I think, is a strange one because um, Yiddish is thriving, but not in the ways that census takers categorize languages. So if you measure language by the standard UNESCO statistics of do the grandchildren speak Yiddish and how well, then Yiddish is indeed threatened or dying or dead. But if we look at another model of Yiddish, which is Yiddish is invoked, Yiddish is, is voluntarily spoken, people voluntarily engaged with the language, it's doing fantastically well. And I don't even know how we would measure it. We'd have to have some kind of global survey to find out how many tens or hundreds of thousands of people think that Yiddish plays some kind of role in their lives. And how would you measure? I don't know how you would measure that. And would it have to be daily or monthly or would it be a feeling? I don't know. And then, as if to underscore the very point Rebecca was trying to make, this song was published on the internet. The Yiddish Classic by Mir Bistushay was given a 21st century twist by Israeli actors and singers Michal Kami and Yael Tal. With a song that features both electronic beats and traditional klezma. The duo say they were motivated to turn the Yiddish folklore of their childhood into something modern and sexy. And in just a few days, they generated tens of thousands of downloads and scores of people calling for more. Yiddish is something you enjoy. It's a site of connection with other like-minded people. It's a place where you express the best version of yourself, essentially. You are your best self in Yiddish. You find yourself and you find the version of yourself you want to be. So you are your activist self, your political self, your leftist self, your Jewishly observant self, whatever it is, you can basically create the version of you that you want to be in Yiddish, I think. Because in a sense, the the incredible rupture that Yiddish has experienced because of um, the Holocaust, um, integration after migration, um, the repression in the Soviet Union, um, the dominance of Hebrew as the Jewish language, Yiddish has been pushed out of every possible mainstream place where it could be used that's associated with power. So you have this language that essentially holds no power that then becomes the key for people to find their best selves. If, you know, if I was challenged with coming up with something in Sydney that would support Yiddish, I would probably create some kind of Yiddish culture festival that was open and after coronavirus, you know, public and accessible and have some amazing musicians and artists there and have some really basic little Yiddish, five minute Yiddish classes, or I don't know what, and, and just get a little bit of momentum. And out of that, you would probably wind up getting a small core of people who were committed to Yiddish. Um, because a lot of people, I think, relate to Yiddish through sort of an emotional feeling of falling in love with the language. And as long as you have that, I think that feeling, then Yiddish is alive in whatever place it is. The days of Salo Sperling and Klezmer music performances in Sydney were long gone. And the Folk Centre? Well, it no longer represented a hub of Yiddish in Sydney. 
But as my time in the city was coming to a close, I was starting to see Yiddish from a new perspective. The language, it had a future in Sydney, but it was likely to be global rather than local, online rather than face-to-face. But in the meantime, Yiddish speakers in the city, they have a place to go. The Sunday morning meetup group continues to thrive, albeit socially distanced, of course. And while some of its members wonder about the future of the language in the city, others remain hopeful about what's ahead, not only for the group, but for the language as well. Here's one of the long-standing members of the group, quoting from a speech given by the late Yiddish storyteller and poet Itzhak Basheva Singer. A language in exile, without a land, without borders, not supported by any government, a tongue which was despised both by non-Jews and the majority of emancipated Jews. He described Yiddish as a sick language, but in our people's history, the difference between sick and dead is a big one. In other words, they've written herself in history so many times. We, sh- we all shouldn't be here. Our demise has long been predicted. And still, yet we're here. And this is why a group like this is still dreaming about a Jewish renaissance where the children will speak Yiddish and the shulchan will speak Yiddish and the prime minister will speak Yiddish and it'll be resurrected in the universities and become a, a, a language of daily usage. Yiddish in Sydney is a Plus61J media production in partnership with the Jewish Museum of Australia. Parts 1 and 2 were written, produced and presented by me, Dash Lawrence. Thanks to all of our interviewees, the organisers of Sydney's Sunday monthly meetup group, Professor Rebecca Margolis of the Australian Centre for Jewish Civilisation and Emeritus Professor Suzanne Rutland of the University of Sydney. Special thanks also to Carla Sperling and Rosita Armour for making this podcast possible. If you're in Sydney and you'd like to join the Sunday monthly meetup group, email helen at stoveconnection.com.au. And you can also listen to SBS Radio's weekly Yiddish news report, available online at sbs.com.au. I hope you've enjoyed listening. Catch you next time.